Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Daniel Kanema and Dr. Jacinta Dalhays. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies. Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make. Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies. Hello, welcome back to episode 24. Yeah, welcome back. Remotely. <laughs> yeah, Dan's still on Skype. <laughs> How you doing over there? Yeah, all right. Locked in a house with little kids, so if you hear little <laughs> kids in the background, you know why. Uh, apologies <laughs> for that. Yeah, and I'm still in my blanket fort and I have no little kids here, so I just made one. <laughs> I have no excuse. <laughs> We've expanded it. Now it's got two rooms. <laughs> <laughs> do you stay do you stay in it even when you're not recording then? Yep. <laughs> and we've added fairy lights now as well. All right. So what are we actually going to talk about today? We are joined by Professor Kavlin Mutli, who is from the University of KwaZulu-Natal, who you actually interviewed at the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory Bursary Conference. And he's going to be talking to us about dark energy and an instrument they're building called HARAC. Yeah, exactly. So, um, as you said, I was at the South African Radio Astronomical Observatory, Soreo, bursary conference in December last year, the start of December, which was held in Durban, uh, which was really great to go visit because I haven't had much of a chance to explore South Africa yet, just Cape Town and a few other places. But so Durban was really cool. And, um, it's more or less like the South African national like annual conference of radio astronomy and so there's radio astronomers there from all over the country uh, so it was a great opportunity to get some interviews with some people not from Cape Town and Carvey is one of those he's the uh, professor at the Department of Astronomy at UKZN and yeah he's one of the people leading the charge in building a new telescope called Hyrax. You know we've spoken a lot about Meerkat we've mentioned a couple of the other instruments which are happening yeah. And the SKA. But in addition to Meerkat, there are these other instruments which are also getting built, uh, which have different little niches that they work in. They work in slightly different niches. They look at different things in space and different frequencies, different wavelengths, and have different science cases. So this is one of those different instruments which is also going to be built in South Africa. Yeah, so it's it'll be made of 1,000 dishes, and they're each going to be six meters in diameter. And HIRAC stands for the Hydrogen Intensity and Real-Time Analysis Experiment. So another <laughs> contrived acronym from astronomers. It's also quite a fun one, because if you don't know what a HIRAC is, uh, a HIRAC is a little, well, it's not a rodent, but you can, you can think of it as a rodent. It's a little... Thing which looks a bit like a bunny but doesn't have long ears. Uh, it's brown and they exist here in South Africa. They run around on rocks and on mountains and things and they're very, they're very sweet and we call them dussies, uh, but their proper name is a harak. Yeah, and it's it's a super cute logo with a little a little dussy on it. For those from Australia, it kind of looks like a marsupial, even though it's not like a little quokka that's on like only on all fours and doesn't stand up. So that's that's how I would describe it. <laughs> we'll we'll put yeah. a picture on our website. <laughs> the the other thing that is is always said about a a dussy or a hyrax is that 
its nearest relative is an elephant. It goes all the way back on its own branch, all the way back to the common ancestor of the elephant, the elephant and the hyrax, which is mm. pretty strange. That is strange. <laughs> the Dussie can be found in the Karoo, and the Karoo is where the telescope is built. So we're looping back to astronomy there. Yeah, and then as you said, the, a thousand of these little dishes, um, and they're, they're six meters across, so they're not as big as the meerkat winch, which are uh, 13 and a half meters across. And they're also a lot simpler, so they uh, they don't have the same demands in terms of the, the surfaces or the instrumentation. And that means that it's a, it's a very cheap experiment to build, and we can build thousands of these things for a fraction of the price of a meerkat dish. Yeah, exactly. But it's not built yet, just like the SKA is not built yet. There is a prototype that's somewhere near Johannesburg, I think. In Hardebeerstuk. Yes, the original Radio Astronomy Observatory in South Africa was in Hardebeerstuk, which is just outside Pretoria in South Africa. And there, there's a, a large radio dish there, but now there's, a, there's the prototype for Hyrax also sitting there. And that's just to test the ex- instruments uh, try and get a, a concept together of what it's going to look like and then use that to try and raise funding to actually build this thing. Yeah, and other than the dishes themselves, one of the main differences between Hyrax and SKA is that the Hyrax dishes are all going to be kind of in a high-density small area, so they're all going to be clumped quite close together. Now, you might remember that radio astronomers always talk about baselines, which is the distance between two of these dishes. And short baselines mean that, that, that the dishes are closer together. If you have dishes closer together, your telescope is more sensitive to larger scale. So you can see things that are larger on the sky. Whereas if you have your telescopes very far apart, long baselines, they're more sensitive to things that are small on the sky small structures, but Hyrax wants to see the largest structures on the universe, and that's why it's got a high density of very short baselines. Uh, and they, they want to see large scales because uh, a lot of the science case for this telescope is cosmology. So, I don't know, Dan. Uh, well, <laughs> so Carvey does explain that a bit, but it's kind of – well, I guess it's the universe on the largest scales, and I guess we need to start from the cosmic microwave background, or CMB, in order to explain that. So, Dan, do you want to explain what the CMB is? Sure, I'll, I'll take a step. So, cosmology is basically the study of the, the very largest scales, as Jacinta said. We, we're not looking at individual galaxies here. We're looking at the clusters of galaxies and beyond that superclusters, how the matter in the universe is distributed, on the very, very large scales. There's these clusters, there's voids where there's no galaxies. And, and why is the matter distributed like that? What you, what you want to do is see where these large dense regions or under dense regions formed from. Where did they originate from? Why, why is there more matter in one place than somewhere else? And one of the ways we can work that out is by measuring this cosmic microwave background. If you look in the microwave wavelength, or frequency, you can see all around the Earth, and this has been mapped in quite a lot of detail, firstly by COBE, the COBE satellite, but most recently by the Planck satellite. And everywhere you look, there are there is microwave radiation, which is coming from the very, very early universe, and it has tiny fluctuations in it in terms of the, the, the color or temperature of that light. And those tiny fluctuations make up what's called the cosmic microwave background. 
And those tiny fluctuations are the hint as to why some regions will be dense and some regions will be under dense. So by mapping this very early universe and these fluctuations, we can see where matter would form and on what scales, where clumps of matter would form and on what scale. So we can measure in quite a lot of detail what sort of scales the fluctuations are on, on the cosmic microwave background. And then if we can measure by doing a galaxy survey of our local universe or the larger universe, we can see whether those correlate. If there are a lot of galaxies on, on one sort of scale in the, the surveys, does that correlate to these initial fluctuations? And it does. A Nobel Prize was awarded for this. This is a, was a major discovery in, in recent uh, astronomy or cosmology. And this gives us a very good idea of the distribution of matter uh, within our universe. Yeah, exactly. That's a challenging thing to explain, but I think you did great. Yeah, I would just add that that the thing that you want to pin down is the characteristic scale of the baryonic acoustic oscillations. And that essentially is like putting a ruler onto the universe at each time. So as the universe is aging, you're trying to, to put a ruler against it at all of those times and see what the typical typical size of certain things is. So as you mentioned, you might do a galaxy survey and you might measure the typical distance between galaxy clusters, for example. But what Hyrax is going to do, it's not going to look at galaxies. It's more going to look at neutral hydrogen gas, which can exist between galaxies. And therefore, it could be a better tracer or a different tracer of this typical scale or typical size. And the reason why you want to do, why Hyrax is doing that is actually to study dark energy because it's this dark energy which is accelerating the expansion of the universe. Uh, and that, of course, was another Nobel Prize to several people, including Professor Brian Schmidt from our community in Australia. Shout out to Brian. So you've got dark matter, which is essentially adding gravity and pulling everything towards each other, but you've got dark energy, which is kind of like anti-gravity or negative gravity and pushes everything apart. And this effect has changed in its strength over the history of the universe. So at the beginning, sort of after the Big Bang, it was relatively weak compared to the other forces, but now it seems to be dominating a lot more. So Hyrax is trying to look at the hydrogen, measure the typical length scales, and therefore make some conclusion about dark energy. And maybe that lets us figure out what it is. Yeah, so we basically get a different a view of a different time in the universe. So the cosmic microwave background is as early as we can look. It's 380,000 years after the Big Bang. And we can look at these scales and these fluctuations. Now we can look at the galaxies now and see those scales. But by looking at the neutral hydrogen with Hyrax, we can look at a time in between. So we can look at the early universe beyond the, the CMB, but before galaxies formed, before a lot of the galaxies formed. And as you said, then we can get a, an idea of what the strength of dark energy was in those times and, and how, how the matter was distributed. Yeah, exactly. But that's not the only thing Hyrax can do. It's also looking at transients. Dan, do you remember what a transient is from the last episode with Patrick? I do. Uh, <laughs> a transient is basically something which is either varying with time uh, in terms of its brightness 
or, or another sort of factor, or it's something which goes bump in the night. So something which happens very briefly once off and doesn't occur again. Yeah, and in the previous episode 23, talking to Patrick, we were talking about one type of transient object, which can be a, an X-ray binary, where you've got black holes or whatever sucking stuff off their partner stars. But in this case, Hyrax is looking for fast radio bursts, or FRBs for short, and we don't really know what this is at all, but it happens on milliseconds scales. So there's just a sudden millisecond flash of bright radio light, and Hyrax is going to try and figure out what they are, and it's a, an ideal telescope to do this because... It's going to see a wide area of the sky all at the same time. So if these things are quite rare and quite brief, you need to be looking kind of everywhere at the same time in order to spot them, to have a good chance of spotting them. But because they're quite small, you also have to have good angular resolution. Uh, so you need to be able to see things on small size scales. But we've already mentioned that Hyrax is going to have short baselines, and so it's actually going to be better at looking at large scales. But they've come up with a with a way to solve that, which is VLBI, Very Long Baseline Interferometry, which we spoke a lot about in episode, what was it, back in season one, episode five with the, with the EHT imaging of the black hole. Do you remember, Dan? I mean, I don't remember which episode it was. I do remember discussing it. <laughs> we were talking to Roger Dean and we went into a lot of detail. So if you want to know more about VLBI, you can go back to that episode. But uh, basically, you put a few telescopes out really, really far away, so long, large baselines away from your central core of telescopes, and these can be called outrigger stations, and that gives you the ability to see these shorter spacings on the sky, and so you've got a better chance of picking up these um, FRBs and to localise them, which means to figure out exactly where they're coming from, because some telescopes can see them, but say, okay, it's coming from somewhere in this in this area, and and with Hyrax, you want to be able to pinpoint exactly where in that area it's coming from. And that's going to give you a better chance of figuring out what's causing it. Yeah. So uh, we've given a good overview, I think, of what Hyrax is going to be doing. Uh, we should probably hear from Covey himself, who is the PI of this project, and he will be talking to Jacinta about what it's going to do. All right. Let's hear from Carvey. With us now is Professor Kavi Moodley from the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Welcome, Kavi. Uh, thanks, Jacintha. Kavi, tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do. Yeah, uh, so I'm a professor at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. As you mentioned to the listeners, my name is Kavilan Moodley. I'm interested uh, in cosmology and astrophysics, so I'm, I do research in this topic here in Durban. Okay, so tell us about the research group at, the, at UKZN. Yeah, so we've been, uh, the research group at UKZN has been growing uh, over the last few years. We now actually uh, have set up an astrophysics research center at the university, and we have a number of undergraduate students, postgraduate students, and postdocs, and our faculty numbers are growing. So the research there has two themes. One is more theoretical, looking at uh, studying physical processes, gravity, etc., with application to astrophysics. And the second is more observationally observational based. And that involves uh, taking data from a number of telescopes and also building uh, telescopes, as we'll talk about. And that's focused uh, more on uh, extragalactic astronomy and cosmology. 
So we're here in Durban at the moment for the Soreo Bursary Conference 2019. Uh, we're in Durban and uh, this is where UKZN is, that, is that correct? Yes, that's right. So UKZN has two campuses, well, actually three campuses in Durban. There's a medical school, the Howard College campus, which has mostly engineering and the arts and social sciences. And then there's the Westville campus where most of the science and management sciences are. And uh, there's a uh, another campus in Peter Maritzburg and the education campus in Pinetown. So I came up early for the conference for the weekend just to check out Durban a little bit. I just ended up kind of staying by the beach because there's a nice beach. The water is a lot warmer than in Cape Town and it's kind of very tropical, lots of green all the way down to the beach. Tell us a bit more about Durban for our international listeners. Yeah, Devon is fantastic. The weather is great all year round. There have been many reviews that have awarded it, uh, you know, one of the best destinations, uh, including CNN and, uh, you know, other websites. The, yeah, water is warm, so you can swim all year round. Uh, it's a great location for getting access to the wildlife parks only two hours away or the mountains. The Drakensberg is also two hours away. So, and Devon itself is interesting. It's quite multicultural. Uh, people from many parts of the world are here. And, you know, green rolling hills and, um, the, yeah, the food is, uh, food is interesting, very diverse. Yeah, I was just about to say the food, there's the Dur- famous Durban curry and bunny chow. Yeah, and that's, I guess, part uh, of the, my legacy being of Indian origin. So, yeah, it's, it's quite exciting, but there's quite an interesting multicultural mix in Durban. And uh, what exactly is bunny chow? I've been meaning to ask someone local from Durban. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, basically a hollowed out uh, fraction or a quarter or half of a loaf of bread where the bread is not sliced and uh, then it's filled with a spicy curry. All right, back to science. What research do you do in particular? So my uh, primary research interest is in cosmology. I've worked on the cosmic microwave background. I still work on in that area. And more recently, I've moved uh, into working on cosmology from ra- using radio observations, uh, generally trying to understand what the universe is made of, these mysterious components of dark matter and dark energy, and yeah, just how galaxy evolu- galaxies form and evolve. What is the difference between astronomy and cosmology? I guess maybe just terminology. Uh, astronomy may, is interested in probably a wider variety of phenomena in the universe. And one would uh, say it incorporates cosmology because cosmology is the study of the universe on the larger scales, including the large scale structure that we see, um, the cosmic microwave background and a variety of other probes. Astronomy um, extends to studying stars, planets, galaxies. So uh, one could say that astronomy covers scales that are much smaller than we study in cosmology. Right. And so as part of studying this cosmology, is it correct to say that you are helping in the development of something called the Hyrax telescope? Yes. uh, As alluded to earlier, Hyrax is a project we are driving here out of UKZN. It has a number of partners in South Africa and international partners. The goal is to build a radio interferometer array. So that's a collection of uh, roughly a thousand uh, dishes that are six meters in diameter. And unlike Meerkat or other radio interferometers, Hyrax will be a very compact array rather than the dishes being spread out. And the idea there is that you have a lot of sensitivity to large scales, you know, which you need to to map out the the large scale structure in cosmology. First of all, tell us about the name Hyrax. 
Yeah, so the uh, name Hyrax, uh, so it's an acronym for the Hydrogen uh, Intensity Mapping and Real-Time Analysis Experiment. It uh, was cleverly uh, devised because it's the Latin name Hyrax, spelled with a Y, not an I, uh, refers to the rock Dassey, which is a resident of the crew, like the meerkat is. And so Hyrax will be located in the crew's site. So Hyrax is a little animal. Yes, actually, uh, related, uh, its closest relative is uh, the elephant. <laughs> oh, really? But it's a tiny little animal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, one would, one would think that it has relatives which are more furry. So you've said that this is a, a thousand dishes in the Karoo near the SKA site. Yes, it's uh, about 15 to 20 kilometers. And uh, currently we have uh, actually funding up to 256 dishes, but we're planning to expand to a thousand dishes. How is it different to the SKA? The SKA uh, has uh, different uh, scientific applications. Since we're interested in cosmology, in particular, we're trying to map out the hydrogen in the hydrogen in the universe, but not on uh, scales of the galaxy, but on much larger scales. We're looking for a signal that's uh, on scales a hundred times larger than the separation typical separation between galaxies. So to get sensitivity to very large scales, we need to have a very compact array. Conversely, if you want to uh, discover things on very small scales, you have very long baselines or you put your dishes far apart. And that's what the SKA and Meerkat are aiming to do. Right. So Meerkat and the SKA are going to excel in sort of higher resolution stuff where you're looking at smaller scales, smaller objects, whereas Hyrax is just to see huge, large scale stuff. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. The uh, volume that Hyrax will map out in the universe will be significantly more than many of the surveys that are uh, will be undertaken by Meerkat or the SKA. All right. And what are the main science goals of Hyrax? The two leading science goals, uh, the primary one is, of course, dark energy. And the idea is to use the distribution of hydrogen in the universe on the very largest scales to map out a feature called the baryon acoustic peak. And that's a characteristic scale. As I mentioned, it's quite large compared to the size of galaxies, 150 megaparsecs, so around about 450 million light years. To do that, we need large volume in the, uh, we need to map out a large volume in the universe. Once we measure the baryon acoustic feature, we can, that gives us a unique length scale, which we can then track over time because we measure the hydrogen at different frequencies. And with that length scale, we can then set a constraint on dark energy. So this is essentially a big telescope to study dark energy. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's its primary goal. Because we are compact array, another important application of the telescope will be to discover transient phenomena, and in particular, fast radio bursts, which are very hot, a hot topic at the moment, and pulsars. Okay, so what's a transient and what's a fast radio burst? So a transient is an object in the universe that appears for a very short time. Fast radio bursts, for example, uh, are very bright flashes in the radio sky, as bright as some of the other objects in, in the radio sky. Uh, and they only last for a, a very short duration, maybe a millisecond. Until recently, we've only had a handful of detections of these fast radio bursts, mainly because you need to cover a large area of sky and you need a broad band to detect these objects. Recently, uh, telescopes like CHIME have changed that and we're now detecting hundreds of uh, fast radio bursts. 
So Hyrax uh, would be well positioned to detect lots of fast radio bursts in the southern sky because it has a large collecting area and it has a large area it surveys on the sky. Are there any theories uh, as to what could possibly be causing fast radio bursts? Yes, uh, there's many uh, theories out there. In fact, at one point, there were more theories than there were uh, actual uh, detections of fast radio bursts. It's pointing to some energetic uh, event in the universe, probably the you know collision of uh, or the merger of two massive stars is one theory. There's a vast number of models out there, and collecting more data will help us to narrow down the range of models that we see. So Hyrax will hopefully help us figure out what is causing these things, right? Yeah, and uh, I think a key advance that we'll make with Hyrax, which other projects are also attempting, is uh, to try to localize these objects. Currently, it's difficult to simultaneously survey a large area on the sky and then have good angular resolution to pinpoint where they're coming from. So typically, uh, the localization of these FRBs could in the region where they detect it, could, they could be, you know, hundreds of galaxies. So what Hyrax is hoping, uh, is planning to do, is to have very long baselines, which give us higher resolution. So we plan to build uh, small outrigger stations of about eight dishes and place these, uh, you know, working together with partners in other African countries at remote sites in these partner countries and then do long baseline interferometry with these signals, that'll allow us to detect uh, these FRBs and simultaneously localize them to within within the galaxy, not just in a particular galaxy, but within us, for example, a spiral arm in the galaxy. Okay, so you have Hyrax, which is a lot of dishes close together so that you can see large scale things, but also you want some telescopes associated with Hyrax much, much further away from this compact central region so that you can do very long baseline interferometry, as you've said. And so therefore, you can also see smaller details. Therefore, you can localize. So find out where the burst is coming from. So which of these partner countries throughout Africa will potentially have um, some of these outrigger stations of telescopes? Yeah, we're in discussion with a, a, a number of interested partners. Currently, the most advanced partners are Rwanda, and uh, Botswana. Uh, we've also in discussion with people from Namibia, uh, Mauritius, and uh, potentially Mozambique and Kenya, but those are less advanced. So uh, in addition to the African partner countries, we are working, we have a Hyrex prototype at the Hartebeus Hook radio observatory just outside Johannesburg that will also serve as another outrigger station. So we plan to start off with two or three outrigger stations before we expand to other partner countries. Uh, These stations are relatively easy to deploy because they just comprise eight dishes. So this has the potential to be quite a pan-African telescope. Yes, uh, and we're hoping that uh, you know we can contribute just a little in the in growing the interest in astronomy around the continent, and in particular radio astronomy. These uh, arrays are fairly easy to get up and running, and they would they make excellent instruments for students and you know researchers to get their hands dirty. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing like actually being at the telescope or the dish to to boost your interest in your learning. Now, I wanted to get back to dark energy because we very briefly skipped over that, but it's so interesting. Okay, let's just go through what is dark energy and why don't we know what it is yet? 
So yeah, dark energy is this mysterious form of energy or component in, in the universe which causes the universe to actually accelerate in its expansion. So if we had regular matter like the stuff that we made of and that we see around us, we would expect the universe to stop or slow down in, it, in its expansion because the matter is pulling it back. However, dark energy has a negative pressure uh, and that's almost like an, a repulsive gravity and therefore causes the universe not to slow down in, in its expansion but actually to speed up. So you may say negative pressure, that's weird. And it is weird. It's a strange stuff that we're talking about. The closest thing and probably the best theory for dark energy at the moment is something called the cosmological constant, which Einstein proposed. Giving it a name doesn't mean we know what it is. We, you know, people think that it's some form of the energy of the vacuum. So in the absence of all matter, this would be the only energy present. But uh, the theoretical predictions for this vacuum energy differ vastly by many uh, orders of magnitude from what we observe for, its, for the value of the energy today. And how is Hyrax going to help us figure out what it is? So Hyrax will, as I mentioned, measure the uh, large-scale distribution of hydrogen in the universe. That hydrogen traces the large-scale structure, and that structure has imprinted in it uh, something called the baryon acoustic peak, which is a unique lens scale that we can predict very accurately. So we will measure this lens scale with a percent level measurements, and we will not just do that at one instant in time, but we will do that over a wide range of time. So Hyrax will observe from about 11 billion years ago to about 7 billion years ago. And that's an important epoch because that is when dark energy was becoming important in the universe and was beginning uh, or starting uh, after that period is when it became dominant in the universe. So we'll be able to measure how the universe, this, this lens scale changes over time, over a wide range of time. And that will tell us what the behavior or properties of dark energy are. Okay, so it's at least going to help us to understand more about um, the properties of dark energy. And maybe that will lead us towards what it actually is. Yes, uh, in particular, I mentioned the cosmological constant. That has uh, a fixed equation of state, which is the ratio of the pressure to the density, and its value is minus one, so it has negative pressure. What we are hoping to do is to determine if there are deviations from that equation of state. So if the ratio is not minus one, that would point to very interesting new physics. Oh, lots of mysteries that Hyrax will help us solve. When can we expect this telescope to be ready? Uh, so at the moment, we are putting out a uh, tender or bed for dishes for the telescope. Uh, so that'll be early next year. And we hope to, by the end of the year, have, after testing these dishes, uh, install them at the Kourou site in South Africa. Great. And do you have any final messages for listeners? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'd like to direct the message to the young people out there who are fascinated by science and astronomy. Uh, you know, certainly pursue your passion and, you know, it's a hard journey, but don't give up and, you know, you'll be rewarded for it. Wonderful. And if people want to find out more about you and your research group and Hyrax, where can they go? You can look up the Astrophysics and Cosmology Research Unit, ACRU, uh, which is at UKZN. We have a website. Hyrax also has a website, uh, which is hosted at UKZN. So it's hirax.ukzn.ac.za. 
And can we find you anywhere on social media? We have an active social media presence through our research unit. So certainly if you look for ACRU uh, on Twitter, Facebook, you could catch up uh, with me indirectly through, the, through those uh, social media platforms. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Kavi. It's great to, to catch up with you as always. Thanks very much, Jacinta, and I hope you have a good day. So a lot of great science there. Um, I do also have to admit, Dan, that I didn't taste bunny chow in Durban because I can't really handle a lot of spice. <laughs> oh, you missed out, man. I, 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 I don't know if the listeners know. I grew up near Durban, so I grew up in KZN, so I grew up on bunny chow. They're delicious. I mean, it's it's very high on the carbs because you're having a lamb and potato stew or mm-hmm. curry in, inside half a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to go back to work after that. You'd be very, very drowsy in <laughs> food coma. Or for a run. Um, mm. But yeah, they are delicious. I could do one right now, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I tried one in Cape Town once, uh, but I think it was like a really watered-down Cape Town version because it wasn't very spicy. <laughs> I want to know what dark energy is, <laughs> getting back to science again. I mean, don't we all? Uh, and I, I think that that's one of the nice things. This is another great project which is getting built in South Africa and maybe we'll answer some of those questions or at least get closer to answering those sorts of questions. It's great. We hear a lot about Meerkat. We hear about SALT and some of the other big projects that are going on. But there's a lot of these other projects happening too. We're exploring a lot of different realms of science all at the same time. And it's exciting. Yeah, definitely. Lots of different things. It was a bit refreshing to talk about radio astronomy. That's not Meerkat, even though love it. (laughs) There are other instruments out there. Well, all of that talk about bunny chow, I, I kind of want to go and get some lunch now. Yeah, me too. All right. Thanks for joining us again. And we hope you'll join us on the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah. In the meantime, you can visit our website, thecosmicsavannah.com, where we'll have the transcript of this episode and related links. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Cosmic Savannah. That's Savannah spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. Thanks to Sumari Hatting, Brandon Endelbrecht, Lynette Delhaze, and Tabisa Ficalepi for social media and transcription assistance. Also to Mark Olnut for mu- music production, Janis Brink for astrophotography, and Lana Serai for graphic design. We gratefully acknowledge support from the South African National Research Foundation, the South African Astronomical Observatory, and the University of Cape Town Astronomy Department to help keep the podcast running. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, please rate and review us and recommend us to a friend. And we'll speak to you next time on The Cosmic Savannah. All right. Thanks for joining us again. And we hope you'll join us. Take four. This is why. This is why we have a script, <laughs> so that you cannot read it. Yeah. <laughs>